to the Soul Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Kuttner, and I'm so glad you're here. This podcast will help you find ways to live a more authentic life. Every week, I have guests on the show from yoga teachers to meditation instructors, everyone to help you feel like the best you. I'm so glad you're here, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So today on the podcast, I have Ben Ahrens. He is a TEDx speaker and founder of the company Reorigin. Ben, thanks so much for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I want to just talk a little bit about your origin story, obviously how you got started with neuroplasticity and Reorigin. So let's talk a little bit about that first. Sure. So my origin story kind of got started in my mid-20s. Truthfully, it was started before then when I was really fascinated by transformation by how the physical body could change, how your mind can change, your thoughts can change, all of these things. And that's actually the career that I pursued was a career in in fitness and training and corrective exercise, helping people recover from injuries. Mm -hmm. And then in my mid twenties, I lost my health. I had a bunch of different issues collide combined with life stress, some travel parasites I picked up in West Africa, and then Lyme disease, which is, as you know, from being in the Northeast, a common problem uh, in Long Island, where I'm from, and New Jersey, where you are, and so forth. So it was kind of a perfect storm of, you know, life stress combined with these different pathogens that sort of short-circuited my my nervous system, I would learn. And ultimately, in that time, landed me in bed from age about 25 to 28, trying to just get my health back, go from one doctor to the next, figure out, you know, what was wrong. And the challenge is that doctors, of course, have a hard time with these so-called mysterious illnesses and symptoms of like chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia and migratory pains, brain fog, these things that don't have a very clear and connected cause, at least by conventional pathology. So I was kind of left to figure it out myself to learn a lot about the brain, about the body's responses, about how inflammation is created and perpetuated in the body. And then ultimately how the brain can essentially get stuck in this high alert sort of fight or flight state, right? And although that might not have been the thing that initially caused the condition, it was now the thing that was perpetuating it. So this was really the root of the problem that I identified that needed to be resolved. And by slowly but surely getting into it, going further in that direction and learning how to tune down the stress response, my body over time was able to do what the body does naturally, which is to heal itself. Mm-hmm. And it didn't happen overnight. It right. definitely took a long time and a lot of steps and missteps to figure it out. But this eventually led to a 100% recovery. And even these physical issues that were measurable in brain scans, like brain lesions and um, arthritis that was you know measurable, these things that are not supposed to necessarily return to normal, of course, completely regenerated, restored and, and healed from that. And the doctors said, well, you know, what the hell did you do? Right. I was in a, in a study in uh, NYU Langone Medical. And as soon as they, uh, you know, saw the results of my second brain scan after uh, about a year and a half of doing these different types of exercises and so forth, I was quietly removed from the study because it didn't quite, you know, fit the mold. And this, of course, just really piqued my interest further into that direction of how the human being, the human body, the human mind and brain can radically change itself, how nothing is stuck or static Mm. and how 
however stuck you may think you are, I truly believe there's always a way to create positive momentum and direction. And that can have a huge impact on your health. Love it. Love it so much. And it's so needed to hear. I think, you know, it's just coming into play about how powerful calming down our nervous system really is. Like, I think a lot of people are, are noticing like too much stress is really bad for you in so many different ways. It affects your mental health. It affects your physical health. So learning tools and tips to kind of calm down your nervous system and also reprogram your mind is so important. So that's why I'm so happy to have you on. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that you did that were successful. Obviously, you're one of those people that was taken out of the study because you were able to fix some of the things on your own. So tell me a little bit about what you did specifically to help yourself. Sure. So there was a lot of things that I did, and I'll, I'll hit on some of the main ones. But the first thing, the first step was really becoming aware of the fact that I was stuck in this loop, that in some way, my perception, that's to say my, the information that my brain was getting from my body was not necessarily appropriate. And Mm. this kind of dawned on me when I realized that even when I felt exhausted, brain fogged, symptomatic, that I could still in, in some days, you know, do some things. I could still get up and go for a walk or something, but it usually then required sometimes weeks in bed to recover. But the fact that I could still do it showed me that the problem isn't purely physical. It isn't Mm -hmm. just the case that my muscles have lost all of their strength. Otherwise I wouldn't be able to get up on some of those days. But the fact that I could gave me some hope that my body still had these capabilities and somehow it has to be the link between the brain and body. It has to be a communication Mm -hmm. issue. So I was listening to podcasts at the time because uh, on most days I, I was unable to read. So I was learning about, uh, you know, neuroscience, neuroplasticity, and attended some, well, virtually attended some courses from UC Berkeley on neurocognitive rehabilitation. And I learned that people had recovered, like stroke victims had recovered the use of lost limbs. Blind people had learned how to see again because their brain had rewired itself to have these new structures in the brain meet different demands. Mm -hmm. So it started to give me a lot of hope. And looking at this whole concept of neuroplasticity and how the brain changes, I kind of saw that over and over again, what was coming up were these three patterns, these three things that people did, the ones who successfully changed their condition. And the three things are really number one is, like I said, to become aware of whatever loop you're in, whatever disability or temporary uh, you know, condition you may be experiencing. Number two is to interject in that. So that's what for me became the title of my TED talk, which is One Deep Breath. And of course, it's not just me for many, you know, basically yogis for thousands of years have discovered that a breath is a great inroad into the present moment and into what Viktor Frankl calls this gap between stimulus and response, that if we get into that gap, then we can choose a different response. So if the first step is awareness, the second step is interruption. The third step is choosing or exercising our freedom to choose a different response. So for me in the moment that awareness was, oh my God, I'm stuck in fight or flight. Like my body is just pumping more cortisol through and this can't be helping my symptoms. Then the interjection was, okay, whenever I become aware of that or I'm reminded of that, I'm gonna take this one deep breath and just really pause 
And then the second thing is I'm going to change my response. So rather than thinking of everything that's going wrong, thinking of this as being like a nightmare scenario in my life, uh, you know, thinking about the problem and doing more research into it, instead of doing that, I'm going to actually try something different. I'm going to focus on where I want to be. <laughs> I'm going to focus on feeling good, finding something to feel good about in the moment. And sometimes that can be as simple as just looking out the window. And it's not about lying to ourselves and, and saying, okay, what I'm experiencing isn't happening. It's saying, okay, like, sure, it's true that perhaps I might not be able to walk today or I might be experiencing this pain now, but it's also true in this moment that the sun is shining, that the birds are singing, that it's a beautiful day out and that I can turn my attention to focus on that. Mm. And this might sound so like insignificant to just change the direction of your awareness. But in doing that, we now know from the neuroscience that when you can do that successfully, that leads to this cascading effect that blunts the response of cortisol, adrenaline, and norepinephrine. And through something known as reciprocal inhibition, it basically quiets those hormones, blocks them from being perpetuated, and it starts to create this cascade of dopamine, oxytocin, endorphins, and serotonin, which are anti-inflammatory, which are actually like a medical dose of chemicals going through your system created or initiated by your own brain. So it really is like taking a medicine. And for me, that started to have you know profound impact on reduction of inflammation, uh, eventually reduction of symptoms. And so it was starting small with just taking a breath and reminding myself to reorient. And then it grew onto other practices that we can get into as well. Yeah. I love that, you know, joy and calm seem to be like the superpower for you to reset everything. And I think that's really important to mention because things like gratitude, things like deep breaths, things like refocusing, you know, they're not just like woo woo. Like I think when you start to practice those things regularly, you will see your life will change. You'll feel better. You know, things will improve in your, in your health and your mind. So I love just giving attention to those, you know, tips and tools that are just so helpful. So I really want to talk about adaptation and how adaptation is our natural state and how, you know, as humans, like we're constantly growing and evolving. So let's talk a little bit more about that, how we can adapt in a positive way versus taking a victim mentality and not, and not going with the flow and changing. Yeah, absolutely. So the saying is, you know, change is the only constant. Mm -hmm. So everything is is constantly in flux. Nothing is actually static. In fact, when we experience things as being static, we know that it's only because we're thinking the same thoughts and creating the same chemical reactions within the system that lead to the same types of feelings. But in fact, it's the case that every single cell in your body is turning over at a different rate. So for instance, the lining of the stomach replaces itself within 30 days, your entire skeletal structure within 18 months, your brain within about uh, 90 days, such that if you look at all these different parts of the body, and you may have heard it said within about seven years, not a single cell in your body will be the same cell that it was prior. And by the age of 72, we will have become a completely different person about 14 times over. So change is absolutely, you know, your, your nature adaptation. We are designed by nature to get back to homeostasis and for health to prevail. It's only when we experience some problem, some trauma, some trigger that takes us off course that we experience anything other than homeostasis or this state of good health. And 
I think the reason why we sometimes get stuck or feel stuck or may actually be stuck for a time is because we actually get stuck in these thought loops, these neurological loops that are perpetuating the same chemical responses in the body mm -hmm. that are leading to the same type of cellular replica, rep, replication and regeneration, which isn't actually moving us toward health. It's just creating more of the same kinds of cells, more of, like, more of the sick cells, as opposed to allowing the body to produce those healthy cells. So, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, belief, mentality, the kind of stories around that. This is where it gets exciting to me because I think we're at this interesting point where the neuroscience is now kind of confirming what we've known all along and what we've been saying in other forums and, and even like these sort of woo-woo realms. But now we're seeing that there's actually another, we can look through the lens of science to confirm that actually the beliefs that you have, the stories that, that we put forth are radically changing how our body and brain forms and functions in this reality. So, you know, just to go back to my example and kind of uh, share an example of how that narrative started to shift for me and the impact that had was at first, of course, you know, when I was ill and I was really in panic mode looking for ways to get better, the story running through my head was this is a nightmare. You know, every morning when I woke up and I realized that I still couldn't walk or I still had pain in my body or I was still brain fogged, I, the story was this is a nightmare scenario. And of course, that led to the thoughts of resistance that I have to push through this. I have to try and grit my way through this or fight the, the problem. And what fundamentally changed for me with that, again, seemingly insignificant breath or that seemingly insignificant ability to just pause was also the beginning of that narrative to shift from fighting against my condition to focusing on the solution. And rather than seeing myself, like you said, as, as a victim, as being stuck in this nightmare, I started to create this new narrative that was, this is an adventure. What if this was like, kind of just like being on one of those surf trips that I used to go on, where of course, unknown things would come up, things that you don't prefer to happen might happen, but it's growth, it's learning. So what if I could take this as a growth and learning? And I, I actually started to become curious about my brain the same way that in high school, I became curious about the human body when I got into you know, uh, exercise and things like that. So with that same curiosity, that narrative started to shift and it no longer became this sort of hypervigilant effort to fight against the condition, which we now know produces cortisol and perpetuates inflammation. Instead, it shifted to an exploration, to a learning experience, to even enthusiasm for learning more about the potential solutions and how the brain can change itself. And so once you enter into that new narrative and that new thought and belief system, all of a sudden you're not trying to push your way to some end that you had in mind. In some sense, in some very real sense, you've already arrived because you're on the journey. You're accepting where you are while still taking steps to where you want to be. Yeah. I love your attention to curiosity and playfulness. And I know we had like a little bit of a conversation together about our natural state, our natural state of joy, our natural state of curiosity. So it's really nice to hear because I think, you know, when we can be curious and we can be playful, we're automatically shifting our state and we're becoming more present. And 
I think the present is our natural state. We're not overthinking. We're not like perpetuating those thought loops that we talked about. So that's really good to hear. And I also just want to talk about how we can instill habits in our daily routine that are actually conducive to doing this and, and to being more joyful and present. And so maybe that's a breath practice. Maybe that's like taking the morning and, and carving out time for yourself and, you know, ditching the excuses. I think a lot of people make excuses and they're like, well, I don't have the time or I have too much going on. I'm too busy. But I think, you know, if you're committed to it, you make the time and you you start your day with a breath practice or you end your night with a breath practice. Like you do these things so that you have that sense of calm. And then the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And then it's really just your lifestyle at that point. Yeah, totally. It, it really is like just getting the flywheel started. And, you know, it's like any any endeavor like working or writing or anything that takes some cognitive demand at first, they always say, you know, writing isn't hard, but sitting down to write is hard. And the same thing is true for any creative project we might start. And the same is true for building a new habit, you know, uh, doing the actual thing, doing a five minute breath practice or a one minute breath practice isn't hard. It's remembering to do it. It's, it's just initiating it. That's difficult. But to your point, which is a really good one that we sometimes so forget is that, the more you do it, the easier it gets. And if you're trying to say, build a new habit or break an old one, this is really a process of neuroplasticity, which is pruning and unmasking new pathways in the brain. And so initially, you know, the first few days might be a little bit challenging, but as you form these new pathways, it won't be something that you have to mount a Herculean effort to maintain. It will just become your new default state. And habits is a, is a great example. So you asked about, you know, things that people can do throughout the day, or you even mentioned like, you know, certain things in the morning. I think mornings are a really great time. And now, of course, it's very popular to talk about morning routines, but it's important for the reason that it's sort of a great opportunity to create a subtle shift in your perspective and your vision and how you kind of set yourself up for the rest of the day. So sometimes we think that we need to just add more and more things to our day. But in fact, the great thing about these kinds of habits and changes is that they can fit into what we're already doing. So they don't necessarily take any more time. It's just a matter of making little changes to the way we're going about doing things. So if you're you know, used to waking up and going straight to the, the coffee pot or something, instead, you can just try a slight change in direction. And a great way to do it is to have something set up the, the day before. So if you want to do a little bit of movement or meditation, you can, anything that elevates your mood, you can, uh, you know, set it up a little spot like a yoga mat the night before, and you just go straight there for a minute. And then you go to enjoy your coffee, which is even better because it solidifies as a reward, the behavior that you just did. Yeah, absolutely. I also like morning routines for some reason, because I think when we first wake up, like we're coming out of that rest and digest state. So it's easier to access versus when you're all wound up and you have to get yourself to be grounded, you know, like overnight, we're in that rest and digest state and we're doing it unconsciously. So I think you know, when we wake up, like we don't have the burden of all the things yet. Like we do have the, the ability to access our calm state a little bit easier. So I, I really like morning routines too. So I just want to talk about, you know, obviously the current state of the world and how we can use some of these tips and tools that we already talked about. So the current state of the world being like some people are still dealing with the stress of the pandemic and social media is so pervasive and, you know, 
I think there's a lot of exposure around things that we were starting to see as problematic like a few years ago. I think they're really on the surface now that work culture matters. You can't work all the time. Like burnout is real. Like you can't physically just keep going and going like a rat in a wheel. Like you have to stop and pause and take care of yourself. So the conversation around self-care is just so much more important these days. And, and I think it just weaves really well into what we're talking about. So, I mean, with your company, tell me a little bit more about what you do. Yeah, sure. So with Reorigin, we offer neuroplasticity programs for people with anxiety, depression, burnout, overwhelm, as well as chronic conditions, like in my case, you know, post-Lyme or even post-COVID syndrome, chronic fatigue syndrome and uh, hypersensitivities, really all of them in some way from a neuroscience perspective stem from a similar root cause, which is this exacerbation of the limbic response. That's the fight or flight response. So we now know that it's very possible through conditioning, that's to say through past experience or a trauma or certain triggers that collided for the nervous system to become stuck in fight or flight mode. And that's something that I kind of describe as this feeling of like a, a spinning egg, where if you've ever spun an egg on the counter, this is something that everyone can actually try at home. If you have a, if you spin a hard boiled egg and then you stop it and let it go, it will stop spinning, right? But if you spin a soft boiled egg on the counter and you stop it and then immediately let it go, it will actually resume spinning because the yolk, that inside is still spinning. It hasn't actually been calmed down. And I think that's kind of an analogy for how many of us feel in this day and age, right? It's like, we're, we're kind of grasping at straws with these different types of exercises, meditation, breathing exercises, and sometimes they can calm us down while we're doing them. But then as soon as we stop, we find that our insides start spinning back up. So if this is relatable for anyone, what I might suggest is that what's happening there is that the limbic system, that's this you know threat detection and response mechanism in the brain has gone a little bit haywire in the sense that it's actually just perpetuating this chronic fight or flight response that may be appropriate in acute circumstances, but it's not necessarily appropriate for the long term for that just to continue. And so the question then becomes, well, what's perpetuating it? Why is that continuing? And then of course, the big question, how do we start to change that? And in this day and age, like you mentioned, you know, not only of course, are we bombarded with a lot of uh, news and 99% of news is negative. I once heard that it shouldn't be called news. It should be called negative news because news implies some neutrality. But in fact, most of the news we consume is not neutral. So this contributes to us uh, being in that fight or flight state, as well as the sheer quantity. In fact, that we consume about 50 times more information in a day than the average human being consumed in a lifetime about a hundred years ago. So the brain is really stuck trying to process basically too much information, much of which is fear-based and, and negative. So the, the first thing is to just become aware of that. And then the other thing is to, like we said before, try and redirect your awareness toward things that you want to actually, you know, focus on. So it might be, there's a great book. You ever heard of the, the rational optimist? Yeah. I'm familiar I, with that one. I recommend everyone check this, this book out because basically what it says, the same way I said, you know, when I, when I became aware of that, like, yes, it's true that I'm symptomatic and I'm not totally healthy today, but it's also true that the sun is still shining outside. There is this truth that regardless of what's happening, what's being presented to us in the media, 
there's still so much that's going well in the world. Again, the sun is shining, the birds are chirping. You know, we woke up this morning, all of these things that are major bonuses that I think far outweigh even the negatives of a pandemic and all of these things that seem so heavy. And that's not to downplay the seriousness of them, but it's just to say that there's a lot more going on. There's a, a great saying, which is that reality is, is not absolute. Reality is what you agree to attend to. And we know from the neuroscience perspective, that's true. And the more you attend to certain thoughts, certain, certain realities, the more you're physically rewiring your brain to basically gather more of that type of information. So I think now more than ever, it's so important to you know address this and take ownership of our ability to choose where our focus goes because it's so powerful. And the other thing that you mentioned about today's society is that, yes, for a long time now, we've been very kind of gung-ho on, on exertion, on doing. That's kind of the way that we've been trained to uh, function in the world, right? From school, you know, you finish the grade to get to the next grade, you take the exam to get to college, you take the exams there to get the job and so forth. Everything is very goal-oriented and very doing-oriented. And of course, you know, the, the brain, the body, and no biological system on the planet is made to function at so-called peak performance at all time. We have this obsession with so-called peak performance, but what we don't realize is that a peak is only a peak if you have a valley. If you're always at peak, which is what we're trying to do, then there really is no such thing as peak. You're just kind of flatlining. Right. So I always like the analogy of if anyone's ever seen, you know, a skateboard ramp, like the, the half pipe kind of ramp. So the skateboarder, when he launches into the air, he's actually only able to get into the air because he's generated power in the trough. And the deeper you go into the trough, the deeper he bends his knees and goes into that trough, actually the higher he'll get into the air. So this is kind of like our nervous system has a sympathetic, which is that exertion-oriented part, and it has parasympathetic, which is that rest, digest, recover part. And that's the part that is less sexy for people to talk about because everyone likes to talk about their, the actions they're taking. People don't like to talk about the, the inactions or the recovery, but the deeper we can train ourselves to go into that parasympathetic function, ultimately, the further we can go into our exertion mechanisms. So it really behooves us to um, work on both sides of these. Yeah, my favorite saying these days is that rest is productive, because it really truly is like when we're able to slow down and give ourselves that time back and come to our projects with more intention and more, you know, energy, then they're just so much better. That's actually one of the reasons why like this podcast had a little break. And I did that for a good reason, because I wanted to take some time and reflect like what went well, what didn't get my energy back. Like it's okay to take a break. And I think there's a lot of shame around taking a break because of what society tells us we have to be productive and we have to showcase our wins all the time. And I think especially now with our culture of highlight reels. This is all the stuff I've done. Like, look at my new car, look at my new relationship, look at my new project. It's show, show, show. But behind all of those successes is a lot of work and a lot of valleys. And I think, you know, just giving some more attention to the process of things not being linear and things, you know, being a lot of work or a lot of stress or some dark days and, and a lot of work to refocus our energy. I think those conversations are really important. Yeah. And that's a really good point about social media and kind of feeds back into the information that's 
coming into us most of the time is that the brain is being fed is really false information because what's being presented is people being on. There's a huge selection bias in social media, obviously, that whenever someone is posting anything, they are on, you know, people aren't going to post audio-less video of them taking a nap or something, even though that's probably how we spend the majority of our time is we know we spend, you know, at least a third of our, our time in bed sleeping and we have to spend additional time eating, recovering, digesting. So we spend at least half of our time in that parasympathetic phase as we should, but that's not the stuff that that gets put out there and presented to us. So we have this kind of false sense of onness that isn't really there and that no human can actually operate under. Yeah, completely. And I think, you know, that's why this conversation is just so relevant and so important. So I really hope that the audience got some great take-homes, especially for those who are dealing with chronic illness. I, I think that's a very important topic because I know a lot of people who have been diagnosed with Lyme disease and, you know, they're on heavy medication, they're trying to get themselves better. And I think it's really important to hear that your simple practice of like rewiring your brain and refocusing your attention and using mindfulness and using your breath practice really helped you go in the right direction with your illness. So I love a good story about like getting back to health, getting back to center, obviously creating this amazing brand from it. So tell me a little bit more about what's going on with your company. If you have any upcoming projects, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, sure. We, we do actually. So right now we're offering our inaugural neuroplasticity course. So this was created by myself from experience, as well as we have a medical advisory board called the Brain Trust, which consists of neuroscientists and psychologists who have helped us to really shape this program in a way that's that's clinically sound. So we have that. We also do these weekly coaching sessions online. So when people join the course, they can join these weekly, we call it momentum sessions uh, to really help implement the program and stay focused and, and use it properly. It's really essentially kind of the group that I always wanted to have, you know, myself when I was first going through Lyme disease, like so many people suffering with these mysterious ailments, I joined some support groups. I was in New York city at the time and I found it to be, you know, really helpful at first to commiserate with, with people, to be able to, you know, identify with others who could identify with my experience and share that. But after some time, I realized that focusing more on the problem and trying to do more research and, you know, jump to more doctors and different things wasn't going to get me where I really wanted to go. I had to, in some way, start focusing on the solution. So the community that we have with Reorigin and these coaching calls and everything are very much oriented toward focusing on where you want to go. Of course, it's nice that people, when they come together, you know, whether they're struggling with anxiety or depression or some other chronic uh, hypersensitivity disorder, that they know that everyone else in the room, so to speak, the Zoom room, understands their condition. But Moreover, it's really about knowing that we can change it. We can all move forward together and that we're actively taking steps. So I really think that there's this power of community and strength in numbers that produces this almost sort of Roger Bannister effect. You know, the guy that broke the four minute mile where no one believed it was possible, but the moment Roger Bannister did it for the first time, all of a sudden within a month, you had high school students doing it and like everyone now runs that speed. So it's so powerful when people are feeling stuck or lacking hope that they enter into a community like this and that they can see other people who are getting results, who are doing these relatively simple practices, just being consistent, retraining their brains 
and radically transforming their health. So right now we are, again, it's a sort of inaugural program. So people can come in and check it out. In the new year, we're going to be going to a full launch, but right now we are offering a sort of VIP pricing for anyone that wants to join us. And they can learn more about that at re-origin.com. Awesome. I love to hear the power of community. I think that's also really nice to share because I mean, we're social creatures and and whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it's nice to not feel alone in your struggles. I think that's especially why people get into a negative mindset or victim mentality because they don't have the support of others. And I think, you know, if you have other people cheering you on and offering solutions, like it's very hard to stay in that negative place. So I I love to hear that too. And I'm really just so grateful for you. Thank you so much for coming on and and sharing all your tips and, and knowledge. I loved, I loved all of it. Of course, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Hey friends, thanks for checking out this episode of the Solutions Podcast. For more episodes just like this, be sure to subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at Solutions Pod. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.